You're listening to Curated Consciously, your all-in-one platform for navigating and nurturing your conscious living journey. Why? Because diving into environmental justice comes with heartache and a lot of damn work. We gotta do it, but as a community, we can make the load a little lighter. Every week, we're bringing you stories, insight, and wisdom from a diverse community of leaders, activists, and influencers helping you live a more holistic lifestyle that connects your health, wellness, and love from Mama Earth. This podcast is sponsored by Cause Artists, the world's number one platform for social impact and innovation stories around the world. If you're looking to get inspired, hit us up at causeartists.com. And of course, I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, curator-in-chief at Curated Consciously and social entrepreneur. You can connect with me and our community on Instagram at Curated Consciously. Now roll your shoulders back, get comfy, put the coffee on. It is time to deep dive into some thought-evoking conversation, curated consciously. All right, guys, I got another big one for you because today I am so excited to introduce you to Justine Abigail Yu. Justine is an old friend of mine, actually. Oh my gosh, how did we even meet? I guess it was... Uh, in 2016, uh, we were actually placed on an influencer trip together in Toronto uh, with Park Bus, a, a, a really cool transportation service that basically was connecting, um, you know, city dwellers to nature. Uh, you know, you pay a small fee to take a school bus out to uh, parks and trails in the beautiful outdoors outside of, you know, the greater Toronto area. And just enjoy the day, you know? For those who don't have cars for public transportation, that actually kind of sucks to get out of the city, is a pretty dope service. Anyways, we ended up having like this fantastic day together and totally connected on all things sustainable travel and environmental justice and all these incredible things. And, you know, later ended up, you know, speaking on panels together, uh, working in the same organization together. And Following her journey has just been such an honor. Uh, she is the definitely my role model for someone who has taken her personal journey and created such an amazing community impact. She is someone I really look up to when it comes to sticking to your values. And she's also so freaking talented. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Living Hyphen, which is an intimate journal that explores what it means to live in between cultures as a hyphenated Canadian. She is an award-winning writing workshop facilitator. She has been featured on, you know, national and local television and radio across Canada. She's also a freelance writer who has been featured in publications from the Intermission Magazine to Metro News Canada to the African Business Journal and Makeshift Magazine. She is a fierce advocate for diversity and representation in Canada's arts and literature scene. Her mission is to stir up shit and spur social change. In today's episode, we're going to start off a little story. So take a deep breath and let's dive in. So Justine, what happened to you in the park a few weeks ago? 
Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, I was just sitting in a park reading my book and I was approached by a woman who informed me that I was on private property. And it was really interesting because I, well, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I was taken aback by it because I've been to this park frequently before. It is a public park. And so I knew that there were a lot of families who would come here, a lot of kids would play and things like that. And so I just thanked her and I said, okay, and didn't move, um, continued on reading my book, at which point she told me that she would call the police on me if I didn't leave. And I was really shocked by that because I've never been threatened to be called the police on, especially for something like reading in a park. And I was really taken aback by that. And I asked her, okay, well, you're here in this space with me. So what are you doing? Are you trespassing? And she said, I'm a teacher. And at that point I said, okay, well, does being a teacher, teacher, mean that you can be here? Like, is that an excuse? Is that, what is that? And at that point she told me that there were tons of signs all around the spacing. There was no trespassing allowed. And can't I read English? Can't I speak English? Go back home to China. And so I was, again, just really taken aback by that. I haven't, I don't think I've ever been subjected to such overt racism, obviously you know, being a woman of color, have experienced microaggressions, but nothing as overt as mm. this. And I was really taken aback by it. And I, I remember commenting like, oh, wow, thank you so much for this, for your racist comment. And she stalked off, walked away and started calling me a number of names um, and started cursing at me. And she left the premises and I started recording myself um, just telling the story while it was still fresh in my head and recounting it for, I don't know, for myself or whoever would listen to this story. Um, and while I was recording, I noticed in the corner of my eye that she had actually come back and she, there was a fence um, between, you know, the sidewalk and this park that I was at. And she came back and she was just kind of pacing back and forth watching me. And at that point I had turned the camera around and started filming her. Um, I was really nervous at that point and a little bit scared just because I was alone in this park at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bit nervous, like what if this woman does call the police on me? And what if I am trespassing? Anyway, I, I started doubting myself and started getting a little bit nervous. Um, and she actually at that point yelled at me saying all Chinese people should go to jail. And again, that, yeah, that just really shocked me and upset me, especially because she had told me she was a teacher and the thought that this woman who harbors such racist beliefs could be in front of a classroom teaching young people and shaping young minds was not acceptable to me. And so yeah, you could hear in this video that I was yelling back at her and telling her to repeat herself and tell me again what she thinks about Chinese people. And she continues walking on and basically at some point like leaves and I don't know where she went. Um, I know she's in the, she lives in that neighborhood. Um, so she must have gone back home. I'm not really sure, but yeah, that is what happened in summary. Um, and it was 
very, it felt very much like all of the things I'm hearing in the media about the rise of Asian, anti-Asian hatred since COVID-19 and other, you know, obviously the Black Lives Matter, like so much of these racial issues coming to the forefront right now, it felt like so such a stereotypical experience. Yeah, and thank you for sharing. I know it's, it's not fun to have to relive those experiences every time you tell uh, mm -hmm. the story. Um, I'm curious, you know, in regards to, you know, after you shared this video on Facebook, I mean, I remember the, like, the vibration I felt of anger inside of me watching you because I could, I could feel your, you vibrating in that. And I'm, you know, after it went viral and, you know, people really were, you know, a lot of, I feel like some people still struggle with thinking that that's happening in their own backyard in, you know, in Toronto, in this progressive city and, you know, everything is sunshine and rainbows, but in reality, right. You know, there, we, again, as, as a person of color, uh, a person, this is our day to day. Obviously for non-BIPOC people, it's hard to really be able to connect and align with the situations when you are not facing them. If you're not facing the issue individually, how do you know that it's happening so uh, rampantly in your community? So when it came to the reactions and actions, you know, that have been taken uh, by the community after, you know, the video went viral and the media started to pick it up, what happened? What is, give us like a quick overview of what that's looked like over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I just wanted to touch on what you said that we often don't think this happens in our own backyard. And I will f fully admit that I thought the same way, even for myself, you know, I mentioned that this is the first time that I've experienced something as overt as this, as explicit as it is. And I think we hear a lot about this going on especially in the US, you know, and I'm from Canada, I'm in Toronto, and you think these things don't happen here. I think as Canadians, we often pat ourselves on the back and being better than Americans, but the truth of the matter is that racism happens everywhere, and experiencing it is a completely different feeling and experience and has shed a lot of light for me, and to answer your question about since posting it, there, oh, it's been a time. Um, <laughs> where do I start? It's, it's reached so many people all over the internet and I'm just trying to think how to summarize this, but on one hand, it has been really powerful to see how the community has come together um, to support me, one, um, and to show solidarity by sending me comments or private messages or emails expressing, you know, that this is unacceptable, that, you know, they want action taken and that even they themselves will be sure to intervene if they've ever seen something like this happen within the actual community uh, within the park that I was at. A few have reached out to me personally, again, on Facebook or Instagram, just expressing solidarity, expressing that this is not something that their community stands for. And of course, you know, one person is not representative of an entire community. So yeah, but hearing from the community members in that neighborhood has meant a lot and a few of them have actually put up signs around the park and um, expressing solidarity with me and also 
expressing the fact that racism does not live or sh is not accepted in that particular community. It's a very diverse community. It's predominantly, um, you know, Toronto is such a diverse community, but there are a lot of Asians in this particular neighborhood as well. And so it was just nice to see that support. And to be honest, I felt apprehensive and nervous to go there um just in case i encountered that woman again i hate to admit that um but that has definitely calculated in my actions and especially since this has gone viral you know if she can feel this way or react this way to somebody she doesn't even know who's quietly reading a book what must she feel right now after getting all of this attention um so yeah it's been a bit of a strange ride a lot of folks have reached out, um, helping to identify this woman. So just as an update, the woman has been identified um, and I've pursued action, um, quite a bit of action to make sure that she is held accountable. Again, it upsets me and outrages me that she is a teacher and that somebody like that could be shaping young minds and creating an environment that is unsafe for black indigenous and people of color especially here in toronto where we like bipoc folks are the majority now and so I've reached out to the Ontario College of Teachers, um, pursuing action or an investigation um, on this woman to see. I don't really know, to be honest, what happens next, um, but we have identified her and she is a teacher with the OCT. She is not a teacher with the Toronto District School Board or Catholic School Board. Um, so an investigation is still underway. I, a lot of folks who reached out also provided resources for me to um, file incident reports, for example, for different community organizations or nonprofit organizations who are archiving and keeping data, statistical reports on the acts of discrimination um, in different in different marginalized communities. So that has been incredibly helpful. A lot of folks have you know, reach out to media on my behalf, tagging different local media outlets, again, just to help get the word out about this incident. Whew, wow, that is a lot. And it's, um, it's also really, uh, it's very moving that there was so much, so much solidarity shown by your greater community. Like, uh, I'm, I'm curious, though, at the same time, has it you know, how, how does your heart feel? Like, do you feel heavy? You know, it's, it's, it's such a, going on, on such a roller coaster of a month after that incident, it, it must be, uh, it must be a little bit more challenging to reflect back and think about, you know, everything that's happened. I know for, I've definitely been the person that struggled with acting in the moment. Um, you know, whether, whether I'm in danger or, you know, someone's made me feel inferior. Like when I reflect back, I usually kick myself thinking like I should have done something differently or why didn't I do this or, um, you know, something that could have been more effective. Um, I'm curious, like when you reflect, what, what comes up for you? How does it feel? It has been heavy. It has mostly been exhausting, to be honest, to recall and to recount the story and to, you know, move towards action. Um, it has been exhausting. And what I will say, Jasmine, what you said is so true and so real. Like, not knowing what to do in the moment is such a real reaction that 
I mean, I, I wasn't able to capture on video the first instance where she actually approached me, threatened to call the police on me and told me to go back home to China. Like I wasn't fast enough. I didn't have the presence of mind to film that. And looking back on that, I thought about it and I was like, oh, why didn't I do that? But at the same time, holding gentleness and compassion for myself and just being realistic in that, how could I he have even known that that was coming my way? You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to live my life just having my camera on recording every interaction that I have with every person expecting some sort of racist encounter. No, that's not how I live my life. And it hasn't, that would never factor into my, my behavior, you know? And so in that moment, I definitely didn't think about it. And it was only after the fact that she left that I was able to gather myself and capture myself and try to record my own testimony for our, I don't know. And the only reason I was able to do that is also because we've just been seeing it in the news so much, you know, that this is the standard. This is how you need to conduct yourself when you're faced with certain incidents like this. Otherwise it's your word against the other person's. And even still now, I still didn't really capture that first instance. And you know, while there have been a lot of really supportive comments on social, I've also seen some really ugly comments discrediting what I did or discrediting me and saying that I staged this whole thing, that, you know, that I'm just making mountains out of molehills and, you know, just some really nasty comments as well. And so, it's been heavy, it's been difficult, and it's also been really one major thing that I think I've been grappling with during this time is the energy and ferocity that people have put into vilifying and demonizing this one woman. And of course, like, I feel that way too because she attacked me and I felt so violated when she did that. But I keep thinking that this is just one instance of racism, you know, and as a society, I don't think we channel that same kind of rage or that same kind of energy into the bigger systems and institutions that produce this kind of thinking in a person to begin with. And so that's something that I've been sitting with and trying to really grapple with because I think it's so easy. It's so easy for us to channel that energy into a specific person because we have a face, because, you know, individual, like on an individual level, it's easier to target one person as opposed to the grander systemic issue that's at hand here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it's problematic because we're seeing so much of it, you know, like the quote unquote rise of the Karens and all of the videos that we're seeing of these racial incidents and every time we get so mad at these individual people and it's just for me it's not effective it's not a an effective use of our energy so that's been on my mind <laughs> yeah that's a lot um that's a lot to be carrying around with you and i thank you so much for sharing it because you know one of the biggest thing that's been on my mind this year is, is definitely aligned with that. It's like we are really just hacking away at the tip of the iceberg, not realizing just how much, how much is underwater that we still need to tackle. You know, the problem has become so invisible that we kind of just, 
we're just starting to become aware of, of how deep these issues go. But, you know, one of the things that I find is so challenging at the moment to kind of understand where you can take a step forward individually and, you know, start critically thinking about what you want the change to look like. Um, it's really challenging because there's just, there's just so much uncertainty this year. You know, every, every day, I mean, I know the issue is the pandemic looks a lot, lot different in Canada versus India. Um, but, you know, it's, it's this fear mongering and the need for change and young people rising up, finally standing up for what they believe in. You know, people want to have a voice. The internet has made it easy to have a voice and easy to share your opinion. But when there's so much, Justine, like how do you choose where to start? You know, when there's so much uncertainty and there's so much to dive deeper, how do you decide where you want to focus, where you want to put your energy. For some reason, you know, that, that call-out culture, that, that, that need to uh, make sure that everyone is obviously, obviously speaking the truth and what they have to say is, you know, has, they have something to back it up. They have, uh, you know, sources, uh, credible uh, resources to kind of like link to what they're saying. But then there's a lot of people who don't. Uh, who, who aren't kind of sourcing what they're sharing online or they're wanting to get involved, but they really don't care about the factual information. They're just sharing it. We have an audience that's on one side of like starting their activism journey where they're starting and they're feeling vulnerable in their approach. Then there's another side that are like just going out there and they're throwing information out to see what happens. And then they're feeling obviously very insecure later on because they're realizing that they're not diving deeper into their work. So we have these two people on both sides feeling very vulnerable in the middle of their journey. How do we, how do we help them move forward? What, what is that next step for diving, for actually diving deeper into your activism? And maybe, maybe give an example of what that journey has looked like for you. I know that call out culture, cancel culture has been a, another big topic um, uh, or subject of conversation lately. And I've been thinking a lot about it and I think for me, the main issue in our society in regards to that is that we are so afraid of failure and we are so afraid of screwing up, of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and whatnot. And for me, I think we need to just get comfortable with that and that we need to normalize our imperfections, our failures, our missteps in this entire journey in social justice, whatever particular issue that you might feel passionate about. And I think that's really critical is to normalize it and for you to be comfortable acknowledging or just being comfortable with the fact that you will mess up. You know, none of us are perfect. None of us are born quote unquote woke. We have all been born into these systems of oppression, have been socialized into these systems of oppression of, you know, white supremacy, of colonialism, of the patriarchy, of capitalism, all of these big institutional systemic issues. And it is inevitable that we are going to mess up. How could we not when from day one, this is what we've been taught. And we are all on this journey of unlearning as, as has been another buzzword lately, is unlearning these taught behaviors, these taught mentalities from the, our young, young age. And so it's scary. And I, I, I totally recognize that. And I have been in that position before. And 
I think we all need to build, I don't, and I don't know what the actionable steps are here, Jasmine, but we all need to build a little bit of toughness and openness to being wrong and a comfort level with being wrong and being okay acknowledging that. I think there is nothing wrong. You know, of course, cancel culture can be taken to the extreme where you say one wrong thing and suddenly, you know, your entire career is over and your entire everything is over. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I don't know if any single person can be judged by one single action because I keep coming back to this, that, you know, we are all only as guilty as the systemic levels that have taught us this way. You know, we are only as guilty as that because we are, we've all been fed this. And so, yeah, and, and we're all guilty of it. And so I think for those people who are in earlier stages of this journey towards social justice, that you need to have, it is a tough road. It is this work isn't easy. You're going to get called out. You're going to mess up. Sometimes the people who call you out are going to be the ones who mess up, you know? And so how do we sit with all of that and just take the time to actually think about our actions and see how we can be better in the future? Because that's the point, isn't it? You know, that we're not all perfect and that if I have said something racist and I am committed to being anti-racist, Shouldn't I want to know that? Shouldn't I want to be called out and be grateful to the people who, I mean, hopefully there are people who will do it in, in ways that help your growth as opposed to being completely, I don't know, it's such a broad, I'm like pulling at very broad and vague examples here in my mind, but not actually articulating it. But I'll leave it at that in that I think that we just need to be comfortable with being called out and being open to being wrong and being open to the growth that comes from being wrong. Yeah, you've definitely said a few golden nuggets there. Like, uh, I think we're definitely a generation that is, that is terrified to fail. Also, you know, this, this idea that um, being intentional, you know, about, you know, what you're, what you're looking to achieve and rolling kind of with the punches is kind of what I'm hearing from you, which I think is is, is perfect. Um, but I think also being intentional with our actions can sometimes be challenging in this time. And I think that's also because there is so much being thrown at us um, that sometimes we are just doing things without even realizing the con consequences or even fully, um, you know, framing or even our own critical thoughts. You know, how many people are just like bandwagoning on things without even realizing what the movement's about, right. you know what I mean? Um, right. So, but I really appreciate what you said there. And I think, you know, not being, able, not being afraid to fail is huge. And, um, and you know, I think that's also a, a, a another kind of like sidestep to us being, uh, I think we all have like a minor, uh, you know, thing with imposter syndrome probably as well, because we, mm -hmm. you know, we want to, we want to be doing this amazing work. We want to be part of the change, regardless of how big or small our part is. We want to be part of fueling it. And I definitely think that that us getting becoming really vulnerable in that process and you know being nervous about being called out is because there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome coming in. Um, but uh, I this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. We've talked a lot about this topic, <laughs> and I there's so much more I want to dive in with you. So I'd really love to just kind of switch gears here, and I want to you know before we jump into it, you know Justine, can you define for me what does it mean to be a living hyphen? Mm, yes. So. To be a living hyphen is to be someone who lives in between cultures 
in between places or peoples or lands. Fabulous. So succinct. I guess you've been probably using that example forever. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us more. So uh, Living Hyphen is this incredible project that uh, I guess your journey started, what, 2018? Give us a background. I mean, uh, how much time do you have? No. <laughs> um, our magazine, Living Hyphen is a magazine, and we launched officially um, in 2018, but it's certainly been an idea in my head and a project that I've been working on far, far longer than that. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts to this project as well. We have your writing workshops. Obviously, you've had to pivot operations during this hell of a time during the mm. pandemic. You know, What does the last two years look like for you? Yeah, so we launched this magazine that explores the experiences of living in between cultures as living hyphens, as hyphenated Canadians, who, um, well, it's just a description on that as well, in case you need it. Um, a hyphenated Canadian is basically somebody who, or any individual who calls Canada home, but who might have roots elsewhere. So the last two years have looked like, <laughs> so we launched our magazine in 2018 and it's this beautiful, beautiful publication that has contributions from artists and writers all across Canada and who hail from over 30 different ethnic backgrounds, religious and ind indigenous nations combined. And it's full of stories from you know, short stories, poetry, illustrations, photography, essays, all sorts of different art forms exploring what it means to be this living hyphen. And so we launched that in 2018. Um, and it's the first time I've ever put out a print publication. I don't have any background in publishing. So this was, a, again, a very long journey in the making, um, but something I'm incredibly proud of. We have you know, we sold out our first print run of 500 copies within the first month of launch back in October 2018. Since then, we've reprinted and secured distribution in different major and independent bookstores across Canada and a few in the United States as well. Oh, and we've, yeah, we've gotten a lot of media attention from local and national media here in Canada. And it's just... Mm, what's the word, um, gathered or brought people together who have typically been underrepresented in mainstream Canadian media. And that's been really special to be able to connect and celebrate all of these different cultures and people and hyphens that bridge us, that connect us. Absolutely. And yeah, we're uh, yeah. You you asked me more questions. I don't know. <laughs> I can talk on. I can talk forever about this. So, <laughs> well, absolutely. You can tell how passionate you are about it. And you know, I I love that it's also you know it's story. It, you know, the element of story. It's just such story has such this this beautiful like power for bringing communities together. It's so beautiful that you've you've used the power of story to leverage the voices of of vulnerable communities and voices that are so needed. Uh, there's stories that are so needed to be heard and to be read and to be shared. And you know, obviously uh, I feel like you know going into your your second publication, when are, do you have a, an expected date of when that's supposed to go live? It won't be until next year, 2021. 
No. Well, I guess it's also, there's been so many challenges obviously that come up this year. And I know, yeah. um, you know, I know your writing workshops were getting, getting quite popular and you mm -hmm. have pivoted those to be online now currently. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So what does that look like if our amazing listeners are like, okay, this trusting girl, I need to meet her. What's going on? <laughs> what, what can they expect from a writing workshop? Well, Jasmine, if I can back up, actually, yes, just to just, I realize there's a lot of things I've missed in our journey here of our two, the last two years. Um, but since I launched the magazine, I, you know, we secured distribution. We got a lot of media attention. We've been consistently selling copies over the course of the last two years. And it's been such an incredible, incredible experience to hear from Black, Indigenous, and people of color to hear about how this publication has really resonated with them. Um, and, or I should say, but what I've learned over the last two years is that while this publication is so successful and while it's necessary for us to have representation in the media that we see or that we consume, one of the biggest things that are missing is actually getting people to the point where they feel compelled and confident enough to actually submit their stories and to tell their stories out loud to different magazines, to different TV shows, or whatever the case might be. You know, often those of us in these historically underrepresented communities have been told from our earliest days that, you know, that we should be quiet, that we should you know, that we're, that our stories aren't valid or that we're not Canadian enough or that in my case, I'm not Filipino enough or whatever it is, my story is not enough for it to be in this mainstream space. And mm. so because of that, our stories aren't just unheard. They're not even being told. They're not even being told by us because we don't, a lot of these communities don't have the tools or access to resources to even aspire for that. And so that's why we've pivoted to, or not pivoted entirely, but just expanded, I guess is the right word, our culture, our programming or our mandate rather, we've expanded our mandate to include cultural programming. Um, and that's why we have writing workshops and we have these storytelling nights that we host every now and then to really equip BIPOC folks with the tools, the resources, the community to feel supported and to feel compelled and confident enough to share their stories. And that's been such an incredible experience altogether as well, you know, to, to work, you know, one-on-one -on -one with so many different writers and artists to cultivate their craft and to, to hear their stories and for them to understand why it actually is so important for us to claim our stories and to speak it out loud and to write it down and, and to have it out there in the world. And so, yeah, I, I started doing that March of last year, March 2019, and we have since been partnering with different local libraries here in Ontario and cultural institutions to deliver this programming on their behalf. And it, it's been great to, to access new communities that maybe I don't have immediate access to. And yeah, in, in, in this uh, pandemic world that we're living in, we have pivoted to virtual writing workshops. Um, and that has been 
also, I keep saying incredible, but also incredible because I feel like, you know, obviously there's so much loss and anguish and, com you know, complexity and challenges with this pandemic. And I feel like I have been immensely privileged to find a way to continue doing my work and to even in some ways make the work even more inclusive because with the virtual writing workshops, I'm now able to reach folks who live all across the country in a way that I was not able to do before with my in-person writing workshops. Um, you know, obviously we're bound by geography and so we were limited to primarily the Toronto area, but since since pivoting to virtual, I've had writing workshops or writing workshop attendees rather from New Brunswick, from uh, Alberta and British Columbia and Manitoba and Quebec, like so many different places that again, I would not be able to reach and to find BIPOC communities who again, might not have might not themselves have access to these resources depending on where they live. Yeah, you know, I, we're lucky, or I'm lucky that I live in Toronto, which is an urban, highly diverse, highly dense um, area or city, but there are smaller towns all across the country who don't have, don't have these kinds of resources. And so, yeah, we pivoted and, we have sold out almost every writing workshop since June. Um, I've been hosting three a week now. So I know, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a very fruitful time. Honestly, Justine, you have always been a source of inspiration for me since the moment I met you. Um, honestly, it's been, it's been such a pleasure to like be part of your journey, watch your journey. Um, I know we haven't seen each other in person since like our time uh, with I know. <laughs> <laughs> like three years ago, but honestly, the, the, the way that you have just, you know, really manifested this, you know, what you wanted to create to bring an incredible platform to diverse voices and share them with the community. And yeah, one of the golden nuggets that you said in there is definitely like this idea of not being enough and not feeling like you're enough to share, you know, your experiences and your stories, your words that really, really resonated with me. Um, so thank you for what you do. It's, and you know, if I, if I could leave our audience with, with just one thing, you know, Justine, you're doing so much, so much incredible, incredible work. And I'm using the word incredible now because you were using it so much. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Your work is so inspiring, you know, and you're, you're also, you know, you're, you're a busy, a busy human, you know, I see you working it all the time. And I know there's like, I feel like we all attract each other, like people who just love to keep busy right. and work. We all, we all know. Yeah. Each other for sure. <laughs> so, you know, what is that like one thing, that one maybe ritual that you stick to, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, to really nurture your mental health so that you can continue in your journey of growth and activism? I will be completely honest and tell you and our, your listeners that I'm not great at this. Want to keep that real, but it is something that I definitely am trying to do more of and be more intentional about and conscious about because it, the work gets exhausting for sure. And, you know, when I first launched Living Hyphen, it was a year that I was completely burnt out. And I struggled the year after to do a lot of things and to 
get my projects or continue my projects, getting them off the ground. And there's a saying that you can't pour from an empty cup. And I keep coming back to that and keep trying to remember that. And so I'll be honest that I don't have any specific rituals per se, but I have been trying more and more and doing my best at keeping my weekends, my weekends. I know that it doesn't sound like a lot, <laughs> but, or a specific action really, but I've been trying to keep those, my weekends sacred in that I will step away from the computer. I will not post or I will not, uh, respond or check my emails and things like that. And just to create distance or space from the, from the digital world, which is where a lot of my work takes place, I'll say. Um, and to be able to come back to that at the beginning of the week, just you have so much more energy, you have a lot more insight or even just that distance gives you insight you know sometimes when you're you're so in the work you're you're just swimming in it you can't see what's around you you know and so creating that distance and that space in a very basic and I don't know if it's a very helpful way but it's been something that's been um helpful to me at least I think you don't realize how powerful that still is because living in this digital revolution that we're currently in, you know, weekends don't exist. So yeah, I think it's actually a revolutionary act in this digital age to actually, you know, preserve your weekends for yourself and your mental health because our economies are shifting so drastically. And the way that we're now seeing a typical like nine to five is now, you know, at home, um, maybe, which is maybe great for some people, but in other cases, it means that you're just working more hours and you're, you know, you're at your desk constantly um, and never actually getting an opportunity to get up, move, travel, talk to other people. So, you know, I definitely think holding on to your weekends is huge. So uh, do know that that is something that nurtures your mental health. And I'm sure there's a million things on your list that you want to do because for all of us, there is like, I woke up this morning and was like, I'm going to meditate and that never happened. So... Um, you know, yeah. as long as we are being intentional about like, you know, just small things that do give us, that bring us joy, that let us pause, uh, when, you know, everything is just so, so quick. Um, it's huge. So thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. And I know our audience is too. Inhale the goodness, exhale the bullshit. Thank you for listening. And thank you for doing the work. Be sure to jump over to curatedconsciously.co for more stories, tips, and inspiration for nurturing your conscious living journey. And be sure to follow along on Instagram at curatedconsciously. Huge shout out to my incredible husband, Profound Sound, for the original dope tracks. Hope you all enjoyed, are feeling a little lighter, and are going into a beautiful and blessed day.